Dementia in Practice is recorded and produced in multiple locations. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which we meet. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and celebrate the diversity of Aboriginal peoples, their ongoing cultures and connections to the lands and waters of Australia. The one thing with preventing dementia or optimising helping to older age mm-hmm. is to put a positive spin on it. Rather than focusing on putting off things or scaring people about the future, thinking about health as something very valuable right now, mm-hmm. something that enables us to engage in life. Hi, it's Hilton Copy with you again. If you're new to the series, this is a podcast made by GPs for GPs and other health professionals who want to learn more about dementia. Each episode, I'm joined by my colleagues from Dementia Training Australia, Dr. Marita Long and Steph Daly. And I'm really excited about this episode because this week, Marita has spoken to Kate Gorovich, who is talking about women in dementia, which is a topic close to my heart. One of the biggest challenges we face in dementia prevention is that people need to be thinking about preventative activities way earlier than the age when they might consider themselves to be at risk of developing a dementia. As GPs, we're kind of used to this with helping people with heart health and encouraging healthy heart behaviours in their 30s and 40s. Today, we're going to start talking about having those conversations around dementia with patients in their 40s and 50s, particularly with women. Why, why is it so important for women, Steph? Well, in Australia, we know that the Dementia is actually the leading cause of death for women in particular. And overall, it's number two for the whole population. So it's a really important factor. And women are also those that are often more affected by dementia because they're often in the caring roles, often working in aged care. And as we're going to hear today, women of the sandwich generation um, can really take some steps to keep themselves healthy and also reduce their risk of dementia. And Marita, you've spoken to a geriatrician about this? Yeah, so Dr. Kate Grigorovich is a geriatrician and she works both in acute hospital medicine settings and the community settings. She's actually written a book called Staying Alive, which explores healthier and happier living. And she's developed an online program called Project 3612 to really help engage women over the age of 40 to take up some health and wellbeing measures. She's got a really interesting take on prevention. Dementia is a disease that has its genesis decades before the symptoms actually start. So we need to put these strategies into place much earlier in life than the disease actually happens, is diagnosed. Within that, it's estimated that around a third of all cases of dementia are preventable with lifestyle strategies. And even if it can't be completely prevented, these lifestyle strategies can delay the onset of dementia. And personally, if I'm going to get dementia, I'd much rather get it at 90 than at 80. Yeah, right. So I hadn't thought of that, that prevention could actually delay, even if not 100% prevented, it could delay the onset, which is pretty important. Yeah. So you've been working in this space for quite a bit. And I was wondering if you'd be able to tell me about your project that you've been doing with the Women's Health app. One of the areas that I think is really important is women live longer than men, but in worse health. And women, it's really hard to tell if women are at higher risk of dementia than men, but certainly with living longer, there are more women living with dementia than men. And 
the Project 3612 is something I've created for women around midlife. Mm -hmm. And it's to help women really take control of their health. So it's got exercise with a particular focus on strength training because it's so important for women to maintain their muscle mass for health mm -hmm. in older age, but also education. So there's webinars, there's nutrition advice. And it's something that I really think it's important that women do things for themselves. So women do it just to feel great rather than all the extra pressures that we're given and hopefully empower people to put these lifestyle strategies in place now to improve their health for all the years ahead. Yeah, right. So that's a really important time to target women, isn't it? Look, I think it is. And, you know, we all know we go through stages in life. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, you know, when you're younger, it can be a lot easier to get exercise done. But then especially when you're having kids and a career, perhaps caring for older parents, it can be hard to carve out that time to put yourself first. Yeah. But I speak to a lot of women who are in that sort of age group in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who are looking around and looking at the years ahead, but also wanting to make some positive changes now and wanting a targeted program that is right for that group. So it's trying to take away some of those barriers. And I suppose it's got the added benefit of looking at prevention of osteoporosis and prevention of cardiovascular disease, but it's sort of adding in this um, notion of optimising brain health as well. Yeah, that's right. And that's a really important concept in prevention of dementia. When people are in the oldest old group, the biggest risk for dementia is actually how much disease of the blood vessels people have got. So when we look at brain scans, obviously looking at strokes, but also microvascular damage. And so by really looking at these factors in midlife, as lifestyle factors, as well as managing things like high blood pressure, this has really significant implications for maintaining brain health. As you've said, it is the leading cause of death in women. What are the huge challenges for women under 60 to think about? I think that it's a, the things for women under 60 is that we know that people, you know, it's called the sandwich generation. Yeah. And we know that women in this age group are the ones often being pulled with care for older parents, care for children, even or young adult children, and also a lot of financial stress. And, you know, women over 60, I think, are the fastest growing group of homeless mm. in our country. Yeah, that's right. And as well as the homeless group, there's so many under significant financial stress. And so with all of these social pressures, with these caring roles that women are just expected to take on, mm. this can have really significant implications for health. Mm. And so it, women aren't allowed the space then to put themselves first, this becomes a real problem. But I think it's also the way we're socialised. And, you know, there's that saying, fit your own oxygen mask first because then you can help others. Well, what about just fitting your own oxygen mask because you deserve some oxygen? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, great, that's a great concept. Kate, you're a geriatrician, so I imagine lots of the patients you're seeing are a few decades older than 40-year-olds. So when you're seeing your patients already in their 70s and 80s, what can you do there to help prevent or, I guess, delay the progression? So when I see my patients in their 70s and 80s, cognitive screening is something that I do. And this is important because it's really possible to have conversations with someone that follow a script and without realising that they've actually got some memory problems. Mm. So this is where some screening tools, you often something like the MMSE or a clock drawing test, simple things. Mm -hmm. And also if relatives have concerns, is a major red flag. Then what I do with my patients is I look at lifestyle factors that I know are protective. I always ask about sleep. I ask about exercise. I ask about nutrition. I ask about alcohol. Mm -hmm. And that 
comes up surprising with surprising frequency in this age group. Yeah. And moods are a really important one as well. And it's not completely clear whether depression causes dementia, but particularly in older adults, it can be a bellwether that someone is starting the process of cognitive decline. It's also something that's treatable as a cause of cognitive decline. And we say that depression mimics dementia. And so I really take a holistic approach. I try and go through all of these factors with my patients and as well as optimizing medications and secondary and cardiovascular risk factors, also helping people to understand the lifestyle changes they can make. So we'll hear more from Kate and Marita in a minute, but I just thought we'd pause the conversation there. I think I heard Kate talking about this concept of a scripted conversation, and I wasn't too sure what she meant by that. Steph, you seem to understand. What, what was Kate talking about with regard to a scripted conversation? I think she's talking about when you see a patient frequently, for example, in general practice, and they come in and you tend to have the same sorts of conversations about what they've been up to in their life or about their children, and it becomes quite repetitive. But we're just used to that because we're familiar with the patient. And it can be quite difficult to differentiate between whether that's what they are just repeating, and so they're having repetitive conversation that's related to a cognitive decline or because that's all you have in common so that's what you talk about and in my practice there was a patient that that I inherited who had been seeing a colleague of mine for some time and as soon as I met her I was I was confronted by the fact that she kept repeating herself every time I saw her about the same topics. And I said to him in a corridor conversation, had you ever considered that this woman has got cognitive impairment or dementia? And he said, oh, no, she's just got a lot going on in her family. And we always talk about the stresses that she's experiencing. And actually, she did have a dementia. And because it was 15 minute snippets of the same story, he hadn't picked up on it. And so what Kate does is she uses some cognitive screening to try and wheedle out whether or not that repetitive conversation is cognitive decline or not. And I think that's the beauty of training practices too. You know, how often do the registrar see patients for the first time and can't make head nor tail of either their medications or their story? And they sort of get alerted to the fact that mm, something's not quite right here. And I often talk about that to my registrars. Don't be afraid to come and talk to me about a patient because you do. You get to know them so well. I could have a conversation with a lot of my elderly patients uh, without them having to say much more than yes, no, to be honest. So I think it's a really great teaching point there that these scripted conversations uh, need to be thought about a bit more. Mm-hmm. Dig a bit underneath the surface. Yeah, yeah, to dig a little bit more. And and we've spoken in the past about the importance of history. And one of the geriatricians who I work with talks about, he doesn't call them scripted conversations. He, talk, he calls it empty talk. So they're saying they're talking, but there's not much being said. And mm-hmm. he might ask one of his patients, oh, what have you been doing lately? And the person will say, oh, I've been busy, been doing this and that. Mm-hmm. And then he'll dig a little deeper. Well, what have you been doing? And that's where we sometimes see what we call the head turning sign, which is if a person with dementia comes with their carer or their partner, they'll, when they're asked, well, what have I been doing? They'll turn their head and look at their their partner or carer and go, oh, 
what have I been doing? You know, we've been busy, haven't we? So that head turning sign can be an indication that there is something more going on. So I guess as clinicians, we've got to be awake and alert and using all our senses to, to make sense of what's going on. And similarly, I guess the point around depression was quite important as well. Just we keep coming back to the, our exclusion criteria and that if someone has a depression, it could be a marker of um, a dementia and we treat it and then we come back and, and reevaluate to see if there's any cognitive decline there. So let's go on and hear a little more what Kate had to say about prevention. of your work would you say spent on preventative care as opposed to um, treatment or management? I do quite a bit of work in the hospital Mm -hmm. so that's obviously quite treatment focused but I don't know that there is such a distinction between preventative and management. Sometimes I think it's a bit of a false distinction. Mm -hmm. When we think about the way we live our own lives we all try and get a bit of enjoyment out of our lives. Mm. You know, when you are at the sandwich bar, you choose sandwich fillings that you like to eat. You choose to spend time with people you enjoy spending time with. Mm-hmm. You, I exercise personally because I really like the mood boost. Yeah. And so I think this is one of the image problems prevention has, that we don't make things important enough in the here and now. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is relevant to every stage of life. And so rather than in some ways focusing on prevention, I like to focus on the ways that lifestyle strategies can improve our cognition in the present, can improve our mood, can improve our well-being, because I think that gives a lot more incentive to make those changes now. So what you're really saying is that we shouldn't be separating out prevention and management at all. It should be just all part of a continuum, really. Yeah, that's right. I think the problem is when you separate it out, prevention can always be put off till tomorrow. And so you've got to find ways to help people see that they're going to get some benefits in the here and now because that's what really matters to people. And do you see a tangible difference when you put that in place in your older patients with an early dementia? Some people, and again, this is where it can be really difficult to differentiate depression, anxiety and dementia, Mm -hmm. but there certainly are some people who have anxiety. And by treating that with a combination of improving sleep, exercise, psychology and medication, Sometimes people will have an improvement in their cognition. The MJA have recently um, raised a call to action in the fight against dementia and they put Australia as one of the leading players in that space. How do you plan to respond to this call? I think this is such an important call because I I am concerned about where we're headed in the future as a Mm -hmm. country. We are living longer than ever and Australia's got one of the best life expectancies in the world. But when you look at some of the data of what's going on in midlife, there's some concerning things around activity levels, concern around nutritional status, Mm -hmm. all of that side of things. And so perhaps we are going to get people living longer and sicker. Mm -hmm. And as a country, we're already spending billions of dollars on aged care. And, you know, in residential aged care, the vast majority of people have a diagnosis of dementia. Mm -hmm. And if we don't look at these proactive lifestyle strategies, if we don't educate people and empower people, Mm -hmm. this has major social implications for the next 20 to 30 years. So do you see that primary care has a big role here? Absolutely. And... The thing is, by the time someone sees me as a geriatrician, they've often already reached older age. And really, if we want to optimise our cognitive health, the best time to start is now. 
And this is when people see their GPs. And I know GPs are amazing at promoting lifestyle strategies, also managing cardiovascular risk. And these are really important things GPs can do. Obviously, it's also really difficult with GP consultations to do all of that in that short time period. Mm -hmm. And so I guess it's about having those other resources that people can look into as well. But I think GPs are amazing at this side of things and have such a great relationship with their patients and are fantastically placed to promote prevention. And do you think the notion of including a brain health check and raising that um, concept of um, living longer and perhaps developing dementia, do you think that will be an added motivator for people? For some people, certainly. And, you know, dementia is such a prevalent disease. Almost everybody knows someone with dementia. Mm. And so when you've got the sons and daughters of patients, they'll be interested. If you've got the spouse of someone suffering with dementia, they might be interested. And so you've got a big group who realise that it is a problem, it is a concern, and people are scared of getting dementia. And so I think that can be a good way to approach it. And I guess the thing about prevention as well, it's not a one problem, one, it's not just one, um, you're not just preventing one disease. When you're putting in prevention strategies, you're optimising the chance of not getting lots of different diseases. Yeah, I like the concept of looking at uh, mood, you know, big mood boost, like you said, with exercise, and then looking at, you know, resistance or exercise training to keep your bones nice and strong and all the other preventative activities, I guess, that you can do um, to prevent your cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and, and now we add in dementia there. So I think it's going to be a, a good space to, or a good hook to get people into better preventative lifestyle changes. Yeah, absolutely. So what would be your one take-home message to GPs if you could give them one about um, preventing dementia? I think that the one thing with preventing dementia and preventing, I guess, or optimising health into older age Mm -hmm. is to put a positive spin on it. And again, rather than focusing on putting off things or scaring people about the future, thinking about health as something really valuable right now, mm-hmm. something that enables us to engage in life and to get the most out of what's going on around us. And to look at all of these strategies as ways to facilitate this now. Because if you've had better sleep, exercise, nutrition, if you're socially engaged, if you feel like you've got meaning and purpose in your life, these are great for long-term health, but they're also fantastic for the present. I really liked the concept that she talks about really making time for yourself in your 40s. And that was definitely something that I consciously did when I turned 40. I realized that when I'd had children that they were just taking up a lot of time and I was working and I thought I need to do something for myself. So I started doing exercise three times a week. And I think it's such a good thing to promote to people, especially because of that feeling of strength is so important that you need to carry on later on in life and strength training and aerobic exercise is good for all of your you know everything about your life but I really found it something that gave me some benefits you know mentally as well and that that really resonated with me that thing of cognition now that she was talking about I mean it kind of goes back to the story you gave us Steph about your grandfather doesn't it and the hernia and what made him change or give up smoking Mm. was to stop the cough, to stop the hernia getting worse. And I guess it's how do we um, encourage the women that we're seeing in our practices to also then take that step 
to um, look after themselves. You know, we we pay, I guess, a lot of lip service to self-care and making sure, you know, your bucket or your cup is full so that you can care for others. And I think Kate's concept of the oxygen mask is a really good one that I think I'll use with women. Mm. So you don't need your oxygen mask so that you can look after others. You just need oxygen and you deserve oxygen. Mm. You know? And it's about that thing, again, advocating for your patient, like we said about the carer. It's about giving people permission to do that. Some people need to be told it's okay to leave your children for an hour in the evening. Nothing bad is going to happen. Like you get a lot of mum guilt, but I'm a better mum for going to the gym. So I think it's about discussing that and having an open conversation. We're not advocating leaving them at home alone, just <laughs> letting our listeners no. know. <laughs> Otherwise you might have child protection on your door. But no, it's a, it is a really important point. What do you think about, we've talked about this a few times now, what do you think about this concept of developing a brain health check? I think I said in the last episode that I think it really opens up the conversation and it's so important. Like even if it's not about dementia, depression, anxiety, stress, I think 60% of my consultations are involving that at the moment. Life is busy and, you know, you just have to look at the impact of the pandemic and how that has affected people in multiple ways. And so and the stigma around depression has improved so much more now that people will take a mental health day from work if they're feeling unwell. And that that is totally acceptable. So we need to be addressing the brain with the same respect that we address the heart. And do you think talking to people about the fact that, you know, Kate was saying most people know someone who's had dementia and most of us have a fear of dementia. Most of us see, see it as a um, stigmatised illness. Do you think using that kind of as the stick as opposed to the carrot of making the changes for here and now is, is a useful approach? I think you have to tailor it to the person. You know, it's not going to prevent dementia in every single person if you adhere to all these rules that we're setting for ourselves. But it may make people recognise that there are some changes that they can make in their life now that have an impact later on. But will also, you know, if you have good sleep now, that's going to benefit you every day. You know, when you have a good night's sleep, you feel better the next day. So talking to people in the concept of, I think, as she was saying, what can you do for yourself today to make you feel better today is more of a motivator than what can you do to prevent something in the future. So putting that positive spin on it. Mm. Hilton, you've been a GP for a long time and you've seen lots of fads come in in terms of how we work with our patients. What do you see as a real positive way of working with women in particular? That was such a good question, Marita, and it made me pause and think and I suppose what I was doing in that moment was trying to focus on what was going on in my mind at at that very minute when you asked me that question so that concept of mindfulness is something that can be really helpful in considering all the things that we've been discussing and as a man I'm very much aware of trying not to tell women what to do because uh, it's not helpful on a whole range of levels. And I'm also aware of being quieter rather than louder. So being present and uh, sometimes 
posing the question, but having a belief that who's ever sitting in front of me is the expert of their life and given the right amount of space and time and encouragement that they'll come up with a solution. I think what you're talking about is a concept I read about called resisting the writing reflex, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, as GPs, we've got lots of knowledge and we want to, we're eager to share it with our patients and sometimes by saying this is what you need to do is not the right approach. It's giving them the space, as you said, to come up with their own story. Yeah, and motivation sometimes comes from self-reflection. You can't motivate somebody else. They have to get that nugget of motivation themselves. And so sometimes just reflecting back to somebody, oh, your life sounds quite busy. What do you think about that? Or, you know, and getting them to think about the idea themselves. So you plant the seed and then the person then generates the action. And I think for women, particularly in the sandwich generation or just generally, we have what's often termed the mental overload. There's always something that you're thinking about, whether it's packing the lunches or the homework or what are you doing next week or going to work. There's lots of things that that are busy in your mind. And the one thing that I do, I find mindfulness very challenging and so I go to the gym and when the instructor is saying do five burpees 10 star jumps and two tuck jumps I'm really only focusing on what she's telling me to do and so to me I see that as mindfulness because my brain is no longer thinking about lunches and homework and piano practice and all this kind of thing and so I often explain that to patients and say you know treat mindfulness as something that you do to relax your brain but give yourself some time in the day when you do it so it could be listening to music or it could be going to the gym and the added benefit of going to the gym is that you get to meet other people and socially interact which we know is also helpful and uh, as an older woman can I say when I'm doing a burpee I'm just thinking about my next breath (laughs) (laughs) but same thing, even though I might be doing the burpees and tuck jumps like someone a bit younger, it is a really good boost for me for the start of the day, every day before I get into a you know heavy day of, of work. So we spent the last few episodes thinking about what a person might do themselves to help keep themselves well now and into the future and this whole concept of brain health. In the next episode, we're going to have a look at how much of an impact our physical surroundings can have on our brain health and also for people who are already living with dementia. And we'll have a talk about how, as GPs, we can help our patients set up their home environment for living with dementia. So if you're enjoying listening to us, please tell your friends all about it and spread the word by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. And in the meantime, if you want more resources, head to our website, dta.com.au or follow Dementia Training Australia on Facebook or at Dementia Train AU on Twitter. Thanks so much, Marita and Steph, for joining me on this episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're a person living with dementia or if you're a family member or carer of someone living with dementia, Dementia Australia has some great resources. The National Dementia Helpline is 1800 100 500 or you can visit dementia.org.au. Dementia in Practice is an initiative of Dementia Training Australia which is funded by the Australian Government.